Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Kraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another evening, reflecting into the richness of our faith. This Monday evening, we have the opportunity to focus in on that great topic of our call to witness to our faith, to witness to our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are a faithful listener, you know very well that what we've been doing here over the past two to three months is looking at this great vocation that has been entrusted to all mothers and to all fathers into raising children in Christ through the various stages of maturation. And so we had placed an emphasis on the sacramental vocation, the sacramental call to uh, bear witness to uh, the faith of Jesus Christ. And so what I've decided to do now is to turn our attention to uh, the diaconate program. Uh, tonight and next week, we'll be looking at this vocation of uh, a deacon and the deacon's call to serve and the deacon's call to witness to the faith of Jesus Christ. So I am excited this evening to have Steve Schwartz with me, deacon from St. John the Baptist Catholic Church. He is a retired dermatologist, and I'm sure enjoying it, but because he's deacon, he's plenty busy. And so, Steve, it is great to have you with me this evening. Joe, I'm glad to be here with you. So, uh, Steve, this call to witness, now, as I was just saying, no matter what walk of life, no matter what journey we take, we are all called to not only witness to our faith, but also to enter into a discernment process a process that allows us to come to better understand the ways in which God is working in our life and to be able to identify, Steve, the things that God wants us to see, to be able to take that road or this road. Um, for you, what did that initial phase of discernment look like? Well, I think you know, life has got phases, so one phase runs its course and you begin a new phase. And so as I practiced medicine, I knew that that was going to come to an end, practicing for 30 years. And so my wife and I began to talk about what we wanted to do after I retired. And we both felt very strongly that we wanted to return to our community the many blessings that it had given to us, a place mm. to raise our family, the kids to get their educations. Chico is just a wonderful town for a variety of reasons. And so mm -hmm. we had this desire to, to want to share and to give back. So that's mm -hmm. kind of where that process began. Mm -hmm. And so you have this process that is going on in your life where you see, you know, this is where we're going to be sticking around and, and God has given so much to me. So I want to give back. What was it that stood out to you about being a deacon? Okay. You're married. You can't be a priest, obviously. So, uh, we know, you know, the word deacon comes from the Greek diakonoi, which, which means service. So certainly this is a vocation that is rooted in service, devoted to service. So what does that look like? Moving from, okay, God is calling me to give back to now I've got to actually do something about it. Now I've got to enter into the process of filling out paperwork and then going to classes, a, a, a what, three, four year process of formation. What does that like look like for you, specifically as it relates to your, your journey of discernment? 
Well, I think it begins uh, with a constant and ongoing communication with one's spouse. Mm-hmm. As a married man, happily married, uh, I wouldn't choose to do something not unless my wife uh, said, yes, this is something that we can and should do together. Mm-hmm. So I think it began um, over a period of time where um, people would say, have you ever thought about being a deacon? And the answer was no. It's not something that I really uh, had given any thought to. And then there was an article in the, the Catholic Herald about uh, deacon formation class information. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I decided to go to that information meeting. Mm-hmm. And when it was all done, we went out to the car and we just sat there. Mm. Because what we heard harmonized with who we are. It mm. just it sounded like something that God might want us to do. So what we chose to do was to complete the application process or begin the application process, and then we left. We went to Europe to um, have a vacation, and really it was kind of like throwing out a fleece. Mm. If, if our application process is accepted, we'll move on. If it's not accepted, well, it wasn't meant to be. Yeah. So that's what we did. When we got back, here's the letter saying, uh, we'd like to interview you. We think you're a good uh, a, a deacon candidate, and mm. so that's how the process began. Amen to that, Steve. One of the things that just jumps out to me is the fact that you rooted your discernment not only in your relationship with Jesus Christ, but you did it hand-in-hand hand with your wife. I mean, for all of our listeners out there, you may not be discerning the vocation to be a deacon or to be a deacon's wife, but you are discerning something. And if you are married, do it hand-in-hand hand with your spouse whether you're buying a car, buying a home, whatever it may be. What I hear you saying to us now, Steve, is the importance, really the priority of discerning this vocation with your wife, and obviously, obviously doing so in prayer and in the Spirit. What the church wants to avoid is having a man who says to himself, I want to be a deacon. Mm-hmm. And the wife says, no, you can't, or you know, we, just, we, we can't do that now. There needs to, it needs to be a team effort. The wife needs to buy in uh, completely. Mm-hmm. The wife is interviewed to see whether or not she uh, is willing to move forward with her husband. And so it really is, your, you've got your arms locked together moving forward down this path. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until the third year formation, formation was four years, uh, during the third year, I wasn't quite sure that this was something that I wanted to do. I was attracted to it because the training and the teaching that we were getting was just excellent and we were with quality people. Mm. But it was during a small ceremony when the bishop was there that it took my breath away. And I just knew at that moment that it was time for me to say yes to God. Mm. And so when that happened, the battle was over. Uh, I had chosen to say yes because I just felt that God was calling me to do that. And I think that was really the turning point where I said yes to God, whatever lies ahead, as a deacon, I'll be ordained in a year, and I want to serve you. I mean, mm-hmm. It really comes down to serving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we often think, Steve, that when you talk about the discernment process, especially when it comes to entering a stage of formation to become a deacon, well, the discernment's over. But in reality, the discernment continues. And for all intents and purposes, discernment never stops. Mm-hmm. I mean, this again is a word, discernment from the Latin, it means to come to understand. And 
we never stop understanding. I mean, what's the great line from Aquinas? The more I come to know, the more I realize how little I know, you know, and this is you know, one of the, the great doctors of the Church, of course. So the more we come to understand, the more we realize how much more we need to understand. And so discernment never stops. But I think you just said something, too, that's so important. I said, yes. There is that moment where you definitively say, yes. And I think that's so important because sometimes in our journey of discernment, we can sit there and not really say yes. We can think we're saying yes, but to say yes. You know, God will take your breath away. I like that. God took your breath away. He did. It just, uh, I really couldn't speak. It, uh, I think I was in a frame of mind where I was consenting to the process, but I wasn't doing that joyfully. Mm-hmm. So I think of the, the 100th Psalm, cry out to the Lord and all the earth and serve the Lord with gladness. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that sense of serving with joy and with gladness. Mm. Um, yeah, so really, I think that was kind of the pivotal point during the formation process where I did say yes. And then, of course, as you say, you need to continue to say yes as these challenges and opportunities come up. Mm-hmm. It's a constant growing process. Uh, how do you want me to serve today, Lord? Yeah, you talk about the absence of joy, the absence of gladness, and then saying yes leads to joy and gladness. I think that's so important as we talk about your discernment, Steve, and just generally for our listening audience when we talk about the discernment process. Um, it's to remember joy itself, as Benedict the Sixteenth once put it, it is the first proclamation of the New Testament. If you go to the angelic salutation there in Luke one twenty-eight, the angel Gabriel greets Mary, and what does that greeting look like? Hail, full of grace, or translated as rejoice, O highly favored one. You know the Greek is kekaritomene, rejoice. If you were to go to um, Paul's epistles, when he's talking about grace, what word does he use? Charis, right? Joy and grace belong together, huh? Joy is the first proclamation of the New Testament because earth is being graced for Benedict Sixteenth. So joy then is this great spiritual fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of saying yes to God, the fruit of a relationship with God where one is discerning the will of God, adhering to the voice of the Father. And as you talk about it, you heard the Father's voice, as did your wife. Uh, so, okay, Steve, you, you ordained a, a deacon, and um, you come back to St. John's, yes? That was yes, your first assignment? St. Okay, St. John's. What does that look like for you? <laughs> well, you know, the... It's a big event because you go from not being uh, allowed to preach, uh, invited to preach, to be able to read the gospel. And my brother and sister had come out from Arkansas. Uh, My mom was here. And so to um, have the privilege of proclaiming the gospel and then to share a homily, it was like, wow. It was big, but... It set a tone for what li- uh, lay ahead, and that is that you can do these things because you're trusting in God. It's a matter of having faith, mm. trusting Jesus, even when you maybe have some trepidation. You, you feel like saying no or you feel like running away, but because you've already said a big yes, I will serve, you step out in faith, and it always works out. Yeah, It's a growing experience. 
Amen. Yeah, when you give your definitive yes, you're putting yourself out there. I mean, you've taken the leap, but there's no turning back. There's nothing you can do, you know? You've jumped. And I appreciate what you were saying there too, Steve, as, as it relates to the event. When I went to Paul's ordination, I'm going to be having Deacon Paul Saban on next Monday. I didn't have the chance to go to yours, but I went to his. And the event, it was an event. It was a celebration. It was joy-filled yeah. three hours. Yeah. I mean, it was tangible heaven on earth. Yes, yes. Well said, well put, because that's what it felt like. I mm-hmm. mean, it really did. And, you know, so his family comes out, and the next day, all of his family there, they're in the pews listening to him, giving his first homily, you know. And I love that, you know, because as a church, we are first and foremost a family that belongs to God. Yes. To be able to share and participate in that familial experience, I think is vital, not only for those close to you or say, Paul, who we'll have on next week, but for the church, for the community to share in such a celebration. It has a kind of power to it that's life-giving. The aforementioned joy, huh? Now you talk about trust. You talk about trepidation. Uh, Steve, when was that first moment for you when you found yourself in a situation as a deacon that there wasn't anything that anyone could say to you in a classroom, outside the classroom, that could have prepared you? When was that moment? It came uh, within a week of my ordination. Some dear friends called and said they found him. And what had happened is that a son had gone mountain climbing, um, late in the fall, and there was bad weather. And there was an accident, and he was lost. Mm. The snow came, and they could not find his body. So you move through a whole winter of not knowing where your son is, and then the next spring, the snow melted, and they found his body. Mm. And so the family asked me if I would conduct a graveside service. And... I've never done that before, mm-hmm. but having been ordained a week and recalling what I had told God that I would be willing to do, mm-hmm. we had the great side service. It, yeah. was, uh, it was very poignant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I believe there to be a tendency for us to see service as something that we do with our time. We go to a prison. We go to the convalescent home. We go to a homeless shelter when we have time to do so. And certainly, I'm sure God blesses that time and we do good. But when you enter into the life of a deacon, what I hear you saying, Steve, and I think what we are called to appreciate here is the need to surrender our gift of time. You see, when we go to serve, we say, I'm going to go to the uh, convalescent home at 1 p.m. because that's when we can do it. And again, that's a good thing. But service, Christian service, is about disposition, about the willingness to put what we have scheduled this day, this moment, on the back burner so that we can be fully present to the person who's in front of us. A person that we have not put into our planner, per se. That is what service is about. You were talking earlier about, you know, your wife has to be all in. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, especially when you get a call at 2 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning, and she has to also be the one making sacrifices. That's true. I mean, that kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but how important is that? A good example of what happens uh, quite frequently is 
I'll get a telephone call, and it's a very simple question. Can I talk to you? Mm. And so make arrangements to meet somebody, either at the church office or in a coffee shop, and hear what they have to talk about, what's burdening them. And so that is a way of, of serving by giving time that I could be doing something else that I might more enjoy, but um, it's saying yes to their request for a bit of time to help them work through whatever the issues is. It might be just you know, a piece of information. It might be pastoral counseling of some sort. It might be something much more serious where we need to meet again. Uh, it takes on the kind of the flavor of spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. It's about being available for people who have a need, whether it be a roof over their head, uh, a need for food in their tummy, or to have another human being uh, be fully present to them. John mm-hmm. Paul too once said, and I've always just felt this to be so, so true, that the first step to conversion is acceptance. Acceptance of the way in which God wants to work in your life and at the same time be present to the people and things that God wants you to be present to. Mm -hmm. So it's first accepting who you are before God and in turn being present to who God is calling you to be present to. And that's certainly what I hear you saying, being present. I mean, I can be physically present to you, Steve, here in this studio. I'm sitting next to you but my mind can be somewhere else right now, right? Mm-hmm. Am I actually present to you? No, not if my mind's somewhere else. I can just say, hey, Steve, carry on the radio for another 15 minutes. You, know? <laughs> you wouldn't want me to. <laughs> <laughs> but there is this uh, reality uh, within this call to serve, within this call to witness to our faith and this capacity to be present. And this is what Christ teaches us. I mean, we share in Christ's headship, and we do so by rendering our hearts in service and being present to one another in their need, whatever that need might be at that particular time. You know, I think the needs manifest themselves unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. I recall very vividly driving from our home downtown, and the bridge that's there by Christian Johnson, the... Christian Michaels? Not Christian Michaels. Christian Johnson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, Christian Johnson. There was a mother and a father and a child coming up from having spent the night under the bridge. Yes. And I just felt, that's not right. And so I began to look into ways uh, of helping to meet that need. And so I became involved, I was asked to become involved with Northern Valley Catholic Social Service here in, the, in, the, in this county, and then later on the board of directors for the six northern counties. Mm. And that is one of the major functions of Northern Valley Catholic Social Service is special needs housing, mm-hmm. uh, housing for the developmentally disabled, housing for the severe and persistently mentally ill, housing for low-income seniors. These people all have needs, and if I can in some small way be a part of the solution, I choose to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're talking there, Steve, you had to be disposed to see this family coming out from underneath the bridge. and. Uh, some some of us are not. I mean, mea culpa. I mean, yes. and you know the thing of it is, Steve. We look at uh, the increase in homelessness and we define it as a problem. And on one level, it is a problem that people are going without food and shelter. That is a problem. But is it a problem for us? How are we defining problem? Huh? Is it a problem because they're getting in our way of what we need to do today? Shouldn't it be an opportunity, not a problem, but an opportunity to serve God? 
Whatever we do, wherever we go, there will always be homeless. We ought to see it as an opportunity to not only uh, love and serve God, but allow God to in turn minister to us as he speaks to us through the poor. And I had an experience a few years ago when the churches were sharing their spaces for the, the homeless to spend two weeks before they would move on to another church. And this occurred over at Our Divine Savior. And so once they get in and they get bedded down, you know, they step outside to, to smoke or to visit. And I entered into a conversation with one of these homeless men. And he said, you know, I appreciate having a roof over my head tonight. But what I appreciate most is your willingness to look me in the eye and to have a con conversation with me. Mm -hmm. Because then I, I cannot tell you how many times today that people have avoided me, shunned mm -hmm. me. Uh, rejected me. As you're talking there, I'm reminded of Benedict the Sixteenth, Steve, in his uh, encyclical God is Love, where he talked about the greatest poverty being that of the poverty of loneliness, the poverty of relationship, being without another to talk to. Uh, that's what I hear you say. We so often think about poverty and we reduce it to material poverty, but there's another poverty that poverty that speaks to the need to be in relationship with another. And that's where God lifts us up. Both, Steve, you and I, or anyone who might be out there ministering to others, but also, also our own poverty, where God ministers to us through those who are on the margins. That's what Christ did when he was here on earth. So I know this is kind of flipping the script a little bit, but this is what Jesus does. He flips the script. He wants us to see things as paradoxical, huh? Steve, I wanted to get into this uh, subject matter as it relates to this idea of serving and doing. Now, this past Sunday, we heard the parable of the two sons. The, the parable to say what you mean, mean what you say. The, the parable that has us focusing in on juxtaposing what you say versus what you do, appearance versus reality. But Steve, it was the lead question that really grabbed my attention this past Sunday. You know, our Lord is asked over 300 questions, and he responds with over 300 questions. He himself asks 183 questions. With this parable, he leads with a question, what do you think? What's your opinion? Yeah, what's your opinion? What do you think about what I'm about to tell you? Let me tell you a little story. But while I tell you this little story about two sons and their own little discernment process, if you will, and being honest and dishonest, I want you to think critically where you are at in this. Which son are you? Son one or son two? And in so doing, Steve, he challenges just not the audience 2,000 years ago who was there around him. But you and I, because if there's any truth about a parable, it is the ability to transcend 2,000 years and apply it concretely to our situations today. He is challenging us with the same parable. He is challenging us to be truthful. He is challenging us with that great question. Why do you do what you do? Are you more concerned with what you say and your appearance or what you do and with reality? One of my favorite prayers is, comes out of litur Liturgy of the Hours, and it is, Incline my heart according to your will, O God. Mm. 
And so when I pray that and I want to know what his will is, then I begin to learn what that is by immersing myself into the scriptures because that's where God talks to most of us most of the time. Mm -hmm. And it's where the little light goes on and you say, I do get it. I will do that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I will do it joyfully. Yeah, along with the sacramental life, Steve, when we see sacred scripture for what it is, our family heirloom, but just not something that is to collect dust, but something that we are to open and read each and every day. And in reading it, we allow it to be the moral compass of what we do and how we do it. You know, we talk about uh, the saying, doing, the, the appearance and the reality we also ought to remember here, Steve, that we are not just human doings, but human beings. And I want to highlight this because what we do doesn't define us if it is not in light of what God is calling us to do. There's lots of good things to do out there, but God is calling us to do particular good things. God is calling us to do things that He desires. And so it's out from that relationship in God that we begin to understand how to better serve other, in God for other. This is the great wisdom, again, of the two great commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love neighbor. Once you love God the way you were called to love God, you will see how to better love neighbor, and in turn realize in that in loving neighbor, you are also loving God. That's one of the great Christian truths, huh? So we read scripture, and we do so with a daily tenacity that it might lift our spirits. And when we read scripture, we are formed and informed in our relationship with God and then how to better serve other. And then our doing is a reflection of our being in God because we are first human beings. So important. Well, it is an adventure as you live out your vocation, whether it is married life slash diaconate, whatever your vocation is, it is an adventure. It should be something other than drudgery. Yeah. And it is when we say yes to God because God is full of surprises. Amen. Um, Amen. That's, that's what keeps our faith exciting. That's what keeps life exciting. Archbishop Fulton Sheen once said that uh, for the person who uh, thinks they are living an adventure and is self-absorbed, I have something to tell them. Uh, you are boring. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing exciting about what you're doing. And when I heard that, yeah, you want that makes a lot of sense because when you see other people do things for other people, it's magnetic. You're drawn to that, right? When you see someone do something just for themselves, we're not drawn to that. There's something about the nature of loving. The nature of love, as G.K. Chesterton once said, is to bind itself. And so when love gives itself away, we want to belong to that. Steve, I think we're out of time. Thank you so much for your gift of time. Thank you, Joe. I've enjoyed being with you this evening. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, if you are willing, I'm going to have you back on, on other subject matter for sure. <laughs> Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, 
heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.